You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dad Well, I don't want to turn every day into let's play with the 53, but it is worth noting, Ty Summers, the Packers did put me out of my misery. They got rid of Ty Summers. So that um, there was a lot of agonizing yesterday about that whole situation, that whole decision that needed to be made. Um, I mean, just, just over the last week, I think a week ago, I made the statement, he has no path to this roster. Then I looked at his, his special team snaps and his special teams production. I was like, oh, geez, been hemming and hawing ever since. So thank you, Brian Gutekunst, for putting me out of my misery. Here, here's honestly what I think about the situation, because I, I don't know. One, one of the things I had mentioned yesterday is, um, well, a lot of different things. Isaiah McDuffie wasn't really seen by me necessarily as a special teams guy. However, week three against Kansas City, he kind of popped off a little bit. Now, he still hadn't gotten the opportunities and everything else, but I just kind of wonder, because as I said initially with, with Summers, who, you know, the guy has no path to the roster based on his defensive play, if your only path to the roster is that the Packers are entirely dependent on you as a special teamer, and the new flashy guy that we brought in in 2021, sixth-round pick Isaiah McDuffie, that's just sort of a new and improved version of what we were hoping you were going to be, suddenly pops off and is as good, let's just say, as a special teamer, but also is significantly more impressive than you as a defensive player. I just wonder if that rendered him entirely obsolete. Especially since, as the other thing that I mentioned yesterday is, it, it, it's one thing to have a lot of opportunities. It's another thing to answer the question, what is he doing with those opportunities? In other words, are they giving him all the opportunities because that's his job and that's what he does? Or are they saying, we want to give him every opportunity he can to win the special teams job because otherwise he's out of here? Because as you look at the grades over the preseason for Ty Summers, a ton of snaps more than anybody else, but 62 overall grade week one, 53 week two, 62 week three. They gave him every opportunity to win that job, and he didn't make very much of it. He made his first tackle on special teams in week three, but he also had his first missed tackle that week. So again, when you look at it and say, you know, we need Ty Summers because we need a better special teamer, and McDuffie says, don't worry, I got you. I can do at least what Ty Summers can do. And again, there, there was still the, the prospect that I looked at of, if we keep all of them, then we got just an additional special teamer, why not? But if Ty Summers is giving you sort of the, the bare minimum or average, you start to look around and say, who else can we bring in that can help us more? Because the, the question for the 53 is, you either have to, ultimately, we're trying to win a Super Bowl. You're either going to help us on offense, defense, or special teams, or some combination thereof. We know Ty isn't going to help on defense, and he's going to help in a very minimal way for special teams, at least based on what he's done this past preseason. And so as you look around at the different guys that you can bring in, 
based on how minimally, and, and, and here's another factor. It's not as though you can have 50 guys on special teams. If Ty Summers is on the team just to be a special teamer, he's knocking somebody else off of that role. And again, we've got starters that are going to fill those. So we know um, Chris Barnes is going to be playing. He's real solid. We believe Isaiah McDuffie can hang with the crew. You've got a bunch of other starters that do different things. Uh, again, Devondre Campbell, Rashawn was out there a little bit. A.J. Dillon does a ton of special teams work and is very good at it. Where is, and, and that's the thing that I've never even really looked at. We look at, for example, the offensive line, who plays left tackle, who plays left, left guard. I don't know what the positions are on special teams and who's doing exactly what. So I don't even know what job Ty Summers is fighting for. I just know special teams. So there's a replacement value aspect of that. But in addition, you look at guys like Innis Gaines. And again, I don't know that he provides anything by way of defense, but he certainly provides more by way of special teams. What about Abernathy as a safety, considering we have some concerns there? We did get some good news with Savage coming back to practice, which is phenomenal. We'll get to some of the comments and some of the things that are going on injury-wise, some good, some bad for the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, maybe you look at a guy like Abernathy. I just, yesterday, I ended up adding Carpenter. So we've got Amos and Savage. we got Davis, who apparently they like as the next best. Carpenter is primarily a special teamer, but Abernathy's there as well, but maybe is a guy, I don't know. But does he offer more on defense slash special teams than Ty Summers would on defense and special teams? What about Rico Gafford? What about Keandre Thomas? You look at offensive help, guys like Toure and Winfrey. Now, th- these are positions, that, uh, again, they're not going to play a ton because they're so far down the depth chart, but they'll get on the field. I don't know that you don't get more production offensively from Toure than you would get from... Ty Summers on special teams, again, when you look at replacement value of the guys that we already have. So I don't know, I'm, I'm more or less to, um, you know, again, my, my intention was never to try to nail this 100%. I just wanted a better understanding of kind of where we stand, and I think I'm kind of there. So um, I've got 52. I'm kind of content just leaving it at 52 with a full understanding of, of the options here. But I will say that, you know, my, one of my first thoughts when he wasn't there is that kind of pushes me in the direction of, you know what, let's just keep Ture or Winfrey. I do know that there's a lot of special teams potential with some of the DBs. By the way, Levitt, might as well cover that. Levitt did return. Um, there was some talk of him being out for a significant period of time, which is why I kind of moved him over to the IR pup area or potentially just cut area. Bottom line, off the 53. But with him back to practice, um, I'm not going to 100% lock him in. Again, I don't really care about changing my 53 right now, but worth noting, while he was here, it seemed as though, the competing thoughts in my mind, seemed as though the Packers really liked the guy. Again, though, Dallin Levitt, who was here to be a special teamer, um, ranked 53 out of 59. As a safety, he was the lowest graded safety we have. So, again, I know that the Packers and PFF don't exactly line up, although they line up a lot closer than people would, some people would like to admit. So it's possible they have a slightly different assessment. But I think if there's still love for Dallin Levitt, it's because of his connection to the guy that brought him here, Rich Bisaccia, which I'm not a huge fan of. I mean, I understand you want a guy that really understands, but you also just want guys that are really good at football. You know what I mean? At some point, you got to find some guys that are really talented. And you want to know the reality with Dallin Levitt as much as we talk about him as a... Spe- he was a special teams guy for Rich Bisaccia, and Rich Bisaccia is seen as a special teams genius. That's, that's just how this tends to go. Here's the reality, though. 
Rich Passaccia hasn't had a good special teams unit in a very long time, and Dallin Levitt was a pretty bad special teams player forever. His grades on special teams were 55, 39, 54, and then 65 in 2021. So, listen, I'm I'm fine kind of playing along with the whole, you know, he can kind of do this, kind of do that, whatever, but I'm not locking him into the 53 because Rich Passaccia likes him. He's a not a good safety. He's not a good special teamer. So, I know, we'll probably end up keeping the guy. I don't know, but I uh, I have no real affection for Dallin Levitt. But anyways, that is what it is. Why don't we... Uh, Take a look at some more details of what's been going on yesterday. Um, the There's been some hubbub about the Ty Summers release. Matt LaFleur said that they did it because they wanted to give him an upper hand on finding a new team. A lot of people are upset with that because nobody can claim a player until Wednesday. And so how dare you lie and pretend as though he can get picked up by another team. I don't know that that's exactly as big of a gotcha as, as you might think it is. What do you think Brian Gutekunst is doing with his staff right now? There's two big things going on right now. Number one, we have to sort out our own roster, which is probably mostly done. Number two, we have to look at guys that have been cut and see if there's anybody we'd be interested in for Wednesday. Now, you can possibly speculate on some guys that might be cut down the road, but at least you can dedicate most of your time to putting on tape of guys that have been cut to see if there's anybody you're interested in. Ty Summers was just cut. Very few people are getting cut right now. He and I think two other guys, three, four other guys have been cut in the last two or three days. So it's giving the 31 other teams the opportunity to say, okay, he's out there. Let's go ahead and put on the tape and see if there's anything we're interested in. It's just a little bit of extra exposure for him. It also is good for him, for Summers. He and his agent can start working and... Um, you know, trying to get involved with other teams, get situated on the next phase, as opposed to kind of having one foot in each camp of not really knowing what's going on. So they did mention that they weren't cutting any other players, at least not planning on doing it until uh, at least Tuesday. They said that may change depending on, you know, whatever other things arise, maybe players get hurt or something. And then it's like, all right, that's enough of that. But not planning on cutting anybody. Seems as though a lot of teams are doing that, waiting until the last minute, which again, why? Well, because it gives us an upper hand in not showing other teams what we're planning on doing, and other teams don't want to show everybody else what they're doing, so everybody's going to kind of try to wait until the last minute, aside from a couple people. So it would be in their best interest to not let guys like Ty Summers go, but they're doing him a favor. They're not doing what's best for them, they're doing what's best for Ty. Uh, news on Mason Crosby said he could potentially practice today, but he can't kick yet. Still trending in the right direction. So take that as a W. Robert Tunyon was elevated into team drills today, which is great. However, the accompanying part of this suite, which is not so great, Jenkins will not do team. Lafleur will not elaborate on that one. So essentially, because we're not there yet, but essentially how this plays out is... He's not going to be practicing. He's sitting over on the exercise bike, and we're not going to tell you why. However, it's not his knee. The prevailing concern is that um, he's holding out. He wants to get paid. I tend to think it's more likely that it's a different injury. They apparently do not have to disclose any new injuries right now, so they're choosing not to. I don't know which of those things would be worse. Probably a new injury, because we're going to pay him anyways. Um... But it, it would just be odd, you know, if, if um, 
The guy's going through an ACL tear. He didn't even play half of last year. He's never really settled into any one position. For him to say, I want that big-time, long-term tackle money, and you've never really done it, would just be surprising because you don't really have a lot of leverage. Nobody doubts that you're going to be that guy, but you got to go be that guy. I mean, he came into the league in 2019, primarily playing guard, comes in 2020, he splits between guard and center, still primarily guard, but guard and center, a little bit of right tackle. He's played a little bit of left tackle, a little bit of right guard, a little bit of right tackle, literally every position along the offensive line, which again, is extremely valuable no matter what, but I would assume you want that tackle money. And I mean, the guy's played 500 snaps at left tackle and 1,500 at left guard. He's almost played as many snaps at center. 300 as he has at tackle so it, it would just seem like really odd timing and and it would certainly put the Packers in a tough spot because I mean you got to pay him something but it just seems inappropriate the timing I mean he missed a big portion of the season early he missed the second half of the season he played pretty well but again it just it just seems it just seems like it would be unlikely, and it would be one of those things that if that is the case, if he is holding out for money, I wouldn't have, I, I would just assume it's sort of a, come on, man, you know, like, this is not, this is not the way to do this. Come back healthy, play tackle, establish yourself as the Packers' number one tackle. I mean, that's David Bakhtiari, but everybody understands he's not going to be here for very much longer, so you are the future premier tackle of the Green Bay Packers which comes with a hefty price tag. But again, just, I don't know, just earn it. So I don't know, that'll have to be monitored. More uh, more drama. Like I said, either way, it sucks. Either it's that, which again, I doubt, or it seems like it's another injury. I, I had initially thought, well, maybe something happened. You know, sometimes somebody in your family passes away or whatever, but you don't show up to the facility and ride the bike. Riding the bike usually means you got an injury. Um, even the way he phrased it is kind of weird. Matt LaFleur talking about the situation said, it's not necessarily planned, but I'm going to keep it internal. What do you mean not necessarily planned, right? I mean, <laughs> if, it's, if it's an injury, it's not planned at all. So what do you mean not necessarily planned? Because that makes it sound like it is the contract situation, right? What does that mean? Well, we weren't planning on him being out, but apparently he had other thoughts. He says, I'm going to keep it internal. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I should probably just stop speculating, but... Every little thing is like, what, what the heck are you talking about? What does that even mean? Um, I mentioned Savage and Levitt were back. They're doing individual drills, so they're not full-time ready to rock and roll, but, you know, it's still a step in that direction. New DNPs did not participate in practice or whatever. Besides Jenkins are tight ends Nate Becker and Alizé Mack, who had picked up injuries against the Chiefs. Hey, Salcanella, man, this is your chance. Go see what Mac and Becker are doing. They got some ankle injuries, just kind of like, you know, you know, you give somebody a flat tire when they're walking. You do that with a cleat, though. Like, oh, dang, man, my bad. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. He's got an opportunity here. Don't squander this. Here is an injury summary via Tom Silverstein. Um, Packers practice. Safety Darnell Savage. David Bakhtiari. Dallin Levitt are back for, workout, uh, for work in pads. Elton Jenkins and Nate Becker aren't here. Mason Crosby, Akeel Byers, toe injury, Innis Gaines, hamstring, Alizé Mack, unknown, are with rehab group. So that's what we know. I already mentioned that um, 
Jenkins was riding the bike for a while. Tom Silverstein did update that and say Jenkins and Becker were here, but they must have, I don't know, took off, I guess. Anyways, why don't we take an early break just because, you know, just clear the table, come back, talk about some more stuff. Uh, Once again, if you would like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Also looking to raise money for Fertile Ground Ranch. It's my uh, dad's ministry. You can find a link to that on Twitter and in the Pack and a Podcast Facebook group. Otherwise, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know nobody wants to do this, but let's just get it out of the way. Rogers went on um, Rogan's program, which just by virtue of him doing it is going to cause problems. But I will say it's been a lesser reaction than I guess I was expecting, although it's still relatively early, I guess. What the heck am I looking at? Twitter's weird. Um, Looks like a tree full of spaghetti. (laughs) Um, I know I've done this before, but I want to do it again, just to, to clarify. Because let me tell you what the running narrative is right now. Rogers admitted to everybody on Joe Rogan's program that he intentionally lied to the media about getting vaccinated, that it was his plan all along. He plotted and he schemed and he knew it, and then he turned around and played the victim. Okay, that's one way to characterize it. Let me, let's just be completely freaking honest about this whole thing. 
Let's let's go back even further. Rogers didn't want to talk about this at all. The 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 way that it's being phrased to try to make Rogers look like the bad guy here is that he was trying to give the media something that was a lie. Like he he's sitting back going, I gotta give him this this big fat lie. Like he ran up to the podium and was like, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started, I just need you to know I am immunized. <laughs> Which is a lie, because I'm not vaccinated. Ha, gotcha, you bunch of idiots. And then I put everybody's life at risk and people died at my expense. He's an evil, horrible murderer. And even worse than being a murderer, he's a liar. (laughs) Anyways, that fantasy of nonsense is not exactly what happened. He made a decision not to get vaccinated. Just like many players have. Like many people have. Many people don't like that decision, but I don't care what people like or don't like. The point is, it was a decision he made. And despite all the hemming and hawing about, oh yeah, his decision because of uh, Joe Rogan, no, it was because of consulting medical doctors and because of an allergy, supposedly, which maybe that's not even true. Who cares? We know the guy's a hippie. He doesn't like chemicals, so there you go. Whatever. That's whatever the reason, it was his decision. And he, if it was up to him, he wouldn't talk about it. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't, but because everybody is and was especially obsessed, 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 they forced him to talk about it. He didn't want to talk about it. They forced him to. They needed to know, are you one of the good guys or are you one of the bad guys? That's exactly what this is. And so they put him in a very difficult situation where he had to choose one of a couple things. One, to say, I am unvaccinated and cause a big problem and be attacked and have all these issues behind the scenes, or take a shot at saying immunized, because according to him and his beliefs, whatever those are, he is immunized. He did a bunch of treatments to try to protect him from COVID. So in his mind, he is immunized, although the NFL doesn't recognize any of the treatments that he did. And he said on the Joe Rogan podcast, he was he was being honest that he is immunized, knowing that There's a chance that maybe they would say, okay, that means you're vaccinated and then move on. And then we can just avoid all of this garbage. And and believe me, it would have been a good thing. But then it came out that he was actually unvaccinated. That's the situation. And you can be upset about individual pieces of that story. But the fact is, that's the story. And trying to twist it and make it sound like something else is just lying. Yes, he was trying to avoid an absolute cultish mob that was attacking absolutely everybody that refused to do what they said needed to be done so that you weren't a grandma killer. That's true. He was trying to avoid that. But considering all the stuff that's going on, we're really going to dig in our heels and pretend that that's the worst thing that we can think of? A guy who's trying to prevent drama and problems from within the locker room and personal attacks on himself? As if you've never had to make those kinds of decisions? As though you've never made a kind of decision like that, where if I'm completely honest, this is going to be horrible, so maybe I'll tell a little white lie to see if I can kind of get out of this and cause, you know, not cause problems for me and for my family and for everybody else. You've never been in that situation. You've never made that decision. Of course you have. But it's not about the white lie. It's not about the decision. It's not about it. It's because he's unvaccinated. People don't like him. It's because he's friends with Joe Rogan. People don't like him. It's because he said people should be allowed to make their own decisions. People don't like him. And so every time this comes up and he talks about it and he talks about how he was attacked, which he was, we got to hear the same story all over again. 
He's playing the victim card. Well, yeah, well, when you're the victim, you get to play the victim card. That's when you get a victim card and you get to play it. If you don't want him to be a victim, you don't attack him. And saying, well, he deserves it (laughs) doesn't really change the fact of the matter that he was attacked. Even if you are right about him deserving it, which you're not, he was attacked mercilessly for making a decision that didn't hurt anybody. And for those of you who are like, oh, really? What about the Chiefs game? That wasn't his decision. That was the NFL's decision. It was the NFL's decision to not let him play. He didn't hold himself out. He didn't make that rule. His selfishness cost us the Kansas City game. First of all, are we really going to stand on the fact that making a personal medical choice is now considered selfishness? Because if it is, we should have a few other conversations about personal medical choices. Do you want to go down that path, or should we walk that one back? You might want to rethink that. But again, he didn't cost us the game. It was the rules that were put in place that cost us that game. The rules put in place to keep Rodgers out. I mean, (laughs) stupid example, but if there was a rule that said you got to eat a steak before a game, and a vegan was like, I'm not doing that, and then they didn't get to play, and then they lost the game, would it be right to say your selfishness cost us the game? That doesn't seem right, does it? Is it the vegan's fault for being selfish, or is it a stupid rule? So, again, whatever you think of Rodgers and his decision is fine, but when you have to twist it to try to make it sound like something else, it's just proving that you, you know you have a weak argument. You should be able to just stand on the facts if what he did was wrong, right? I don't have to fabricate what Hitler did to make him seem like a bad guy. You know what I mean? I don't have to twist anything. Nothing. I don't have to make anything up. I don't have to add to that story. I don't have to fabricate it or kind of twist it. I don't have to do any of those things. It's pretty straightforward. Why do we have to keep twisting this story? Why do we have to keep saying things that are not exactly true? I don't get it. I mean, I do, but I'm just asking for for the sake of your own reflection. Why not just state it properly? Probably because it makes it sound actually not that bad would be the reason. So I know this is never going to go away. It's just not. It's just going to keep coming up. And yes, Rogers keeps bringing it up, and that's what keeps making this a thing. That's true. But you know how I am about people saying things that are just not true. I can't let it go. And I'm not going to. It is what it is. And I don't want to have to relive this every single time. Rogers says, here's what happened with the COVID thing again. Wasn't that crazy? And everyone's like, well, here's my made-up story about what happened again. Isn't he horrible? I I just, you guys got to stop. It's ridiculous. Especially considering where we are now. You know, back then, things were a little bit more heated. Now, can we stop? We still got to go after, like anti-vaxxers? That's still a big deal for you? I thought we all agreed to move on with our lives. Is that, did we not agree to that? But I guess if we allow him to just be like, all right, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal, then that would be sort of like admitting maybe it wasn't that big of a deal, and so we can't do that. I don't know. Anyways, hopefully it'll be another four or five months before I have to do that exact same diatribe all over again. So why don't we do a... No, that's a bad idea, because some of these games aren't... I was going to do a recap of where everybody ended up after the preseason, but we can't do that yet. Let's do this. This is something I've been wanting to do anyways, as we're still trying to kind of hone in on our practice squad slash 53-man roster. I want to look back a little bit at previous practice squads just to kind of get a couple things straight, because I think a lot of times we make assumptions, and I make assumptions, and it's a good idea to kind of just actually see it, you know? And I do know a lot of things have changed based on how many guys and sort of how the practice squad works, but there's still some things that I think we can look at, especially last year's, because last year was similar, if not identical, to this year. 
So again, last year's practice squad is very similar to what I have this year in terms of the total numbers. But last year, they did keep quarterback Kurt Bankert, uh, Ben Braden, Jacob Capra, Cole Van Lannen, Brandon Kaufusi, Equinemius St. Brown, Juwan Winfrey, Chris Blair, Patrick Taylor, Abdullah Anderson, Willington Pavilion, Tipa Naliai, Ray Wilborn, KB Anento, Innis Gaines, and kicker J.J. Molson, which is obviously a pretty unique situation. Although, who's to say, you know, we got a weird kicker situation right now. But I want to get a full picture of kind of who these guys are, just so that maybe it sends a couple light bulbs off in terms of who that would represent this year. For example, Jacob Capra. Jacob Capra was an undrafted free agent last year. He was our fourth highest offensive graded graded offensive player last year. He didn't play a ton, but is there somebody that would be kind of similar to that? Honestly, there is a guy, and I'm sure nobody would agree with this, but Caleb Jones would be the best example of this. Jacob Capra was a guard slash tackle. He had an 80.1 overall grade. Caleb Jones, offensive tackle, 85 overall grade. Now, Caleb Jones has played more, but again, you've got an undrafted free agent that's worth some additional looks and some additional time. I think it would make sense to say he could potentially end up on the practice squad as a similar player to what we had in Jacob Capra. Ben Braden is a little bit different. Ben Braden is a guy that actually spent a lot of time, three years with the New York Jets before coming here. He came over, was pretty mediocre, and we decided to try to stash him, and we were able to stash him. I don't know that there's actually anybody that's necessarily super similar to that. Although if I had to pick somebody, it'd probably be Keandre Thomas. I know Ben Braden was, I don't want to act like he was never at all liked, because that's not entirely true. He had a little bit of steam picked up for, for a while there. But the only other guys that I could comp would be Ladarius Hamilton and Sean Davis. And I think with both of their cases, Sean, I mean, they're much closer to a starting role than Ben Braden was. Ben Braden was, I don't think he was ever going to be one injury away from being a starter, whereas I think Ladarius Hamilton and Sean Davis might be. But Keandre Thomas makes a little bit more sense. I think he's likable. I think he can serve on, you know, uh, on defense, on special teams. He's not great. You don't ever want it to get to that point, but you can kind of see it. But similarly, again, he was a veteran, or at least had spent one more year with the Cleveland Browns, came over to Green Bay, performed a little bit better here. Not great, 68 overall grade, similar to Ben Braden. Obviously different position, but I'm just saying kind of similar precedent there. Uh, Bronson Kaufusi is actually a little bit interesting to me because he's a tight end that actually performed quite well. And the, the Packers have been kind of surprising with their their tight ends. I mean, Dominique Daphne was kind of similar. Um, kind of thought he was going to be a bigger piece than it he obviously is going to be for us. And I think Kalfusi was another guy that you look at and go, he's actually pretty impressive. Ended with a 73 overall grade, was a elite run blocker. Not that I necessarily ever thought he'd be a starter, but showed some stuff. They liked him and they stashed him. The point is though, or at least the point that I would look toward is he had a 40 overall receiving grade and an 82 run blocking grade. That's the one tight end they kept. The one thing I keep saying in terms of the, the tight ends that we have, and I, 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 again, I don't think Tyler Davis ends up getting stashed or cut or anything. I'm, I'm guessing he's going to be put on the active roster. But if you had to choose between the remaining tight ends, who's going to end up on the practice squad, and they could have more than one if they wanted to, again, I lean toward the blocker. I would lean more toward Mack than Canella. Canella is a solid receiver that can't block and can't play special teams. So much to my dismay, I, I, I think that ends up continuing that, um, 
that trend of six foot six, two hundred and seventy-five pound monstrous uh, blocking tight end gets precedent over the receiving guy. Um, Equinemius is actually really interesting as well. I think that's a similar type of a player to kind of similar to the Toure and Winfrey situation in terms of probably a lot of people thought he wouldn't make it. And I know a lot of Packer fans would disagree and say, no, he's always been trashed. I don't, that's not true. But I mean, he's, he's the Bears number one or number two ish wide receiver right now. But beyond that, you've got a six round pick, good height, good speed, and had familiarity with the offense. I wouldn't have thought necessarily that he would have survived in a similar way that somebody like Winfrey would have a hard time, in my opinion. Because I think overall, although Equinemius was drafted similar to Samori Ture, Equinemius in the sixth round, Ture in the seventh, I kind of view this as more of a Winfrey thing, just because it's more to do with experience than draft position. But for anybody that's like, well, we can't because he's a seventh round pick and he'll get picked up. No, I mean, the guy's seventh round, sixth round, whatever, they get stashed. Speaking of Juwan Winfrey, he was stashed last year. <laughs> and we did end up keeping three wide receivers on the practice squad. Equinemius, Juwan Winfrey, and Chris Blair. So if you did kind of see Equinemius similar to Samori Ture, which I, I really think, I, I know nobody's going to want to make that comparison because we kind of gave up on Equinemius and we love Samori Ture, but there was a time, maybe not last year, but there was a time when there was at least as much hype for Equinemius as there was for Samori Ture right now. In which case, Ture, Winfrey, and Hyman compare very similarly to Equinemius, Winfrey, and Chris Blair. Um, At running back, Patrick Taylor lost out on a running back job, got stashed on the practice squad to Kylan Hill. Why? Kylan Hill was the kick returner. Is a similar thing going to happen with Goodson? Do they like Goodson enough as a kick returner? Again, I really doubt it because I think we have a kick returner in Amari Rodgers. And you got to remember, when we started the season last year, you say, well, Amari Rodgers was there last year and we still kept Kylan Hill. That's true, but we started the season with Kylan Hill as the kick returner and Amari Rodgers was the punt returner. By week three, they apparently were not super thrilled with Kylan Hill as a kick returner and gave Amari Rodgers at least one opportunity. Now, that ended up going out of the end zone or something because he didn't get a chance to return it, but they at least put him back once. By week four, it was a full-blown competition. Kylan Hill had two returns, Aaron Jones had one, and Amari Rodgers had one. Again, Amari never got to touch it. Aaron Jones returned it for 10 yards. But clearly, we're, we're looking to mix this up. Amari's still our only punt returner. And then by week five, Amari had been given more opportunities than Kylan. Still has not touched the ball once. I don't know if they were just kicking away from him, scared or what, but it seems weird that he's been there more than just about anybody and hasn't returned one kick. Same thing in week six. Kylan Hill had one return opportunity, returned it for 23 yards. Amari Rogers had two return opportunities, returned zero. Week seven, I don't know if it was injury or COVID or what, Lazard was our one returner in that game. Week 8, again, Amari more opportunities, didn't get to return anything, so he's like 0 for 12 right now. Kylan Hill returned one. And it wasn't until week 9 that Amari got his first shot at a kick return. He only returned it for 3 yards, but Kylan Hill was gone at that point. And now Malik Taylor's getting shots. He's obviously off the team, so he's not in content. The point is, I think Patrick Taylor lost his job because Kylan Hill was going to be the kick returner. But then Kylan Hill lost his job as a kick returner. I mean, he became a part-time kick returner, getting about one-third of the opportunities of of kick returns. I think at this point, Amari has 100% solidified himself as the kick returner. Now, that's not to say somebody couldn't beat him out as a punt returner. I don't know. But I, I don't think 
Goodson is our kick returner. So if it's going to come down to special teams, not returning, again, I still think Patrick Taylor's the guy. But I might be wrong about that. And, and, and to be clear, it's not because Patrick Taylor is a great special teamer, because he's not, but they never gave Goodson a single opportunity on other, anything other than returning. Patrick Taylor is the only running back we have that's been used on special teams on, you know, kick coverage, punt coverage, seven kick return snaps, six kick coverage snaps, four punt return snaps, eight punt coverage snaps. He was used 25 times on special teams. Goodson, zero times. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he ends up losing out again because of special teams. But um, again, that is my assumption. Uh, A couple other things I wanted to point out just because it seems clarifying to me. I think, and again, nobody's going to want to listen to this, but I think it's fair to say Samori Ture is having a similar preseason and training camp to Darius Shepard. And if you think the difference between a seventh-round pick and an undrafted free agent is going to make the difference. I really don't think so. Again, I'm not trying to harp on this as if to say I know for a fact that Samore Ture isn't going to make the roster. I'm more so looking at it from the standpoint of he'll never make it to the practice squad. Darius Shepard had a higher preseason grade than Samore Ture, who, by the way, does not even actually have that good of a grade. Darius Shepard ended the preseason with the Green Bay Packers as a rookie, with eight targets, six receptions, 57 yards. Oh, wait, wrong one. I was going to say, that's not that impressive. 12 targets, eight receptions, 68 yards, and two touchdowns. Ture has a 65 overall grade, 13 targets, nine receptions, 125 yards, and zero touchdowns. Almost identical targets and receptions. He does have more yards, but he has two less touchdowns and drops about 10 points on the PFF grade largely because of his 42 overall grade week two against New Orleans. just want to read you something real quick, okay? I'm not trying to sway you any which way, but I just want to just make sure we remember everything properly. This is an uh, article by Rob Reichel over at Forbes.com. Darius Shepard is stealing the show at Packers training camp. Tremont Williams has seen just about everything in his 13 NFL seasons, remembers the buzz in Green Bay when Randall Cobb arrived back in 2011. Quick, shifty, sudden, explosive. Cobb had everything you'd dream of when distinguishing the ideal slot receiver. These days, Williams wonders if he's watching Cobb 2.0 when he looks at rookie Darius Shepard. Now, let's stop there for a second. Has there even been this much hype for Samori Ture? I can tell you right now, I've not seen it. Shepard, an undrafted free agent from NDSU, has been one of the stars of Green Bay Packers training camp. By the way, I don't know that Ture has necessarily been one of the stars. He's been decent. He's been good. He's been quality. Dobbs has been a star. Jair has been a star. Shepard has turned heads with his sensational play from the slot, excelling on a daily basis against anyone and everyone the Packers have thrown at him. Quote, he is the one receiver we have who has the body of a natural slot, Williams told Conley Media of Shepard. He has the quickness and is built specifically for that position. He is obviously showing up on the field every day, and I think every team needs a really good slot for sure. Cobb left for Dallas in free agency this offseason, and the Packers didn't specifically address the position of slot receiver in either the draft or free agency. So this is a situation where we don't even have a guy, right? It's not like, well, we've got Lazard. And I mean, I guess we've got, you know, Sammy, and we have Watson, 
and and we have Dobbs. Um, but after that, we don't really have a boundary guy, you know. No, this is this is like we need a slot guy. We don't really have a slot guy, and this guy has been sensational as a slot receiver. Goes on to say, but Green Bay may have stumbled onto something when it signed the undrafted Shepard nine days after the NFL draft. Shepard has made his mark with steady and sometimes spectacular performances on the field uh, each day. Then, in Green Bay's preseason opener, Shepard hauled in a 14-yard touchdown pass in which he went high in the air and survived a nasty hit afterwards from Houston's Justin Batamosi. Quote, it's nice to do it on the big stage when you know it really counts. Come through for the team, Shepard said afterwards. So hopefully just keep that up and stay consistent. Then they compare Shepard to Cobb and show that they're very similar in terms of height, weight, speed, athleticism, etc., etc. How you get somewhere, though, doesn't matter. It's what you've done once you get there. And halfway through training camp, Shepard is certainly making the most of his opportunities. The key with him is he's really been good mentally, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers said. He's not having any mistakes or repeat mistakes with plays as far as alignment. He's fine in the feel route. He's fine in his feel running routes. I think he's a very shifty guy. I think he can play in the slot and be effective. Rodgers hasn't said that about Ture, right? So even Rodgers has got his back. He's intelligent. He's shifty. He gets it mentally. Shepard said, I hope someone was going to take a shot on me. It goes on to say the Packers did and could wind up with a steal. Shepard has impressed day in and day out on the practice field. In fact, during a practice last Saturday, Shepard whipped safety Natrell Jamerson on what would have been a long touchdown, and afterwards, Rodgers raced downfield to celebrate with the little-known rookie. Quote, he's been consistent. I think he was probably the first guy in the locker room to learn the playbook before any quarterback learned it. Number two quarterback Deshaun Kaiser said of Shepard, he was a guy who put a bunch of effort and time into making sure he was going to prepare to play. It's a hilarious paragraph. Green Bay has talked all offseason about making Geronimo Allison its primary slot receiver this season, but Allison, 6'3", 202, is built to play outside and has spent most of his career there. So that's, that's what's going to keep Shepard off, of, off, of off the roster and out of the slot is Geronimo Allison in the slot. Shep's done a great job, Packers coach Matt LaFleur said. He made a heck of a catch in the preseason game on that off schedule. He's made some nice plays in practice, so yeah, we want to see what he can do in more of those game-type situations, he says. Similar article written by Zach Cruz back in 2019. Rookie receiver Darius Shepard doesn't exactly fit the profile of a, a potential training camp surprise, but that's exactly what he's been throughout the first two weeks of Green Bay Packers camp. Quote, he's been a nice surprise for us. Long way to go, but he's earned more opportunities, Packers GM Brian Gutekind said on Tuesday. Shepard has mastered the playbook, eliminated mental mistakes, and consistently made plays. The reward has been a chance to creep up the Packers' crowded receiver depth chart and play consistent reps with Aaron Rodgers in the first team offense. Should I read that paragraph again? Shepard has mastered the playbook, eliminated mental mistakes, and consistently made plays, and the reward is a chance to creep up the Packers' crowded receiver depth chart to play consistent reps with Aaron Rodgers and the first-team offense. In the preseason opener, Shepard made a veteran play, breaking off his route in a scramble drill and making a tough catch in traffic for the offense's first touchdown. And you can tell just by how many times you see Rodgers comment, you see Kaiser comment, you see Gutekunst and Lafleur comment. Do you know why they're talking about him? Because the media is asking so many questions. Why? Because he's the talk of camp. 
not he's one of the guys. So the, you got to understand the hype for Shepard is not Samori Ture. It's very similar to what you're seeing with Dobbs. It's much closer to what you see from Dobbs. The difference being you don't hear about Dobbs mastering the playbook. You just hear that he's making plays. Media members are asking Brian Gutekunst, how in the world did he fly so far under the radar? Here's what Gut had to say. It's tough to say. He had a pretty productive year at a very good program, but a smaller program. Obviously, he's not the biggest player out there. His measurements aren't typical of what you're looking for. Didn't run particularly fast at his pro day, but he's a football player. He has that instinctual ability to find spots, get open, catch the ball, and had a really good start. So anyways, that's that. And I don't necessarily think it's debatable that Darius Shepard was a bigger star of camp than Samori Ture. So the idea that Ture will never make it, in my opinion, is completely false. The question is, do we think he's ready to step up and contribute? Do we think he's at that level already? He's that good that as our number seven receiver, he's going to make a big impact that could change the course of this team and help us win a Super Bowl. Because I'll be honest, as, as I read that, and as I look back over his preseason and his training camp notes, um, I, I think we're overstating things a bit. I have no issue with Samori Ture. He was not the star of training camp. He was a decent player in training camp. He was not the star of preseason. He was a decent player in the preseason. So again, I'm, I'm just kind of stuck looking at this saying, who do we need? And, and the reason why it's not that big of a deal is because it's such a, it really, I believe, is such a minor thing. Whoever it is that we put on there, and, and people are willing to fight and scratch and fight and claw to try to convince whoever that so-and-so needs to be on the team, and whoever it is that's going to take this last spot, it really doesn't make that big of a difference. I'm interested. I want to know. But if Winfrey or Ture are on the roster, how big of an impact does that make, do you think? If it's Goodson over Tyler as the number three running back, what, dif- what difference does that make? It doesn't make a difference. If Caleb Jones is put on the roster or not, how much does that change our trajectory? Zero percent, roughly? Should we sneak forward onto the, to the roster? Why? So we can, when, when he gets rotated on once every three games, we look out there and go, who the heck is that? Oh, Ford, I forgot about Ford. Oh, geez. What the heck is Ford doing out there? Somebody get hurt? What is going on? Is that, is that Ford? Does that say, what is that, what is his number? Oh, no. Well, they're going to try to keep him on the field all the time. They're going to run up to the line. I hope we can get him off there. Right? I mean, come on. You know that when you're talking about Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed and Slayton and Wyatt and Heflin, you're really going to be like, oh, dang, Ford's out there. Here we go. Go time, baby. <laughs> no, you're not. Kobe Jones, he had a couple good plays in preseason. Is that, is that going to change things? Like, dude, right, Rashawn's looking tired. Put Kobe out there. Rashawn hasn't done anything all day. It's the first half. He doesn't even have a sack. Put Kobe. Kobe will get a sack for sure. Corners. Is there any scenario in which a corner goes down and we're like, all right, here we go. We get to see so-and-so. Let's go, Shamar. Big time. Don't even need Stokes. No. Nope. Or better yet, let's go, Keandre. Way to be the backup to the backup. We're two more injuries away from Keandre time. Let's do this. Going to fight over whether it should be Carpenter or Levitt or Davis. As though there's a single person that isn't just going to throw their hands in the air if Amos goes down and says, oh, here we go. We're done. It's over. Screwed. <laughs> Forfeit. Put Douglas back there. I can't do this. Don't do it. I don't just put put Razul back there. I don't care. So we'll see what it is, but I, I think I'm just I'm ready to get this started. So I'm hoping these next couple of days go quick so we can find out who is officially on the team, who is officially not on the team, 
and we can focus on Minnesota. I don't want to get there too fast because it's like, all right, let's break down Minnesota. And we have two weeks of being like, well, uh, that's about it, man. I got nothing. But again, I've, I've got this 53 as close as I need it to be for anything that's that matters. And, I, and I'll tell you this. I think as much as I hemmed and hawed over the bottom end of it, I'm so happy with this roster. I mean, th- this really was an easy 53. Now, people are rolling their eyes like, easy, you friggin' got it wrong. I don't mean easy in terms of nailing it 100%. I just mean in terms of, there have been so many times I'm looking and it's like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm so happy with this roster from top to bottom. Offensive line in particular, I was looking at last year. You look at last year's depth, I don't think you're feeling super great about it. There's not a single guy, aside from maybe Sean Ryan, that I'm looking at that I'm like, eh, I don't know. We've got our starting five guys, and I know Elton and Bakhtiari might not play whatever, but that's, I'm going to consider them our starting five. After that, you got Yash, who I'm extremely happy with him. We have Zach Tom. We have Jake Hansen, who came out of nowhere. That might even be our starting right guard. I don't know. Either way, he's basically a one-to-one Lucas Patrick replacement, it seems like, which is incredible. Zach Tom, I don't know if I said him yet, but Zach freaking Tom. And then Sean Ryan's hanging out until he can figure it out. I'm jacked about that. Tanya and Louis DeGuara. Yeah, Davis is there, I don't care. Still, I'm good with that group. Our running backs, Jones and Dylan. that's fantastic. Our wide receivers. I mean, there, there was a very real possibility that this was just going to be a giant disaster where basically it's Lazard and a bunch of nobodies. But I'm intrigued by Watkins, I am similar to Cobb. But it's not just that we've got these role players that I know that can do stuff, but Amari is kind of showing a little bit of something. Not much as a receiver, but I think he's showing to be a better receiver than he was last year. But it's not even that. It's the improvements on special teams, and especially his improvements in terms of being utilized more, which is what we wanted in the beginning. It seemed like last year, when he got utilized, which is almost never, it was, let's just let him be a slot receiver and that's it. We don't want to get creative. And we're all sitting here going, we only want him to be creative. That's what makes him interesting. And now they're starting to do it, and lo and behold, it seems as though it's working. So I'm excited about Lazard. I'm excited about Watkins and Cobb and Dobbs. Are you kidding me? And we haven't even seen Watson yet. But this whole group, there's not a single guy on here that I'm like, well, it's going to suck when they get on the field, but, you know, at least there's not going to be on there a lot. Defensive tackles, the starting three, I don't, I don't exactly know what they're going to be, but all I know is they've terrorized everybody they've gone up against so far. I think Wyatt's only going to improve when there's other guys on the field, because, again, he really just needs to flash at this point in time. Slayton has shown flashes, which I'll still accept for him. I don't think he's going to be a great defensive tackle, but I think he's going to be an improved defensive tackle. Edge rushers I feel good about. I think Kingsley is exactly what we wanted him to be. Another guy that just flashes, you know. He's just, I, I, he hasn't graded out very well, but he's beaten tackles. He has more pressures than anybody in the preseason. As far as edge rushers go, a lot of opportunities, but still, more pressures than anybody. Garvin, we already know, is, is, is a solid guy, as is Hamilton. So we've got our starting two, and we got three that are decent. Linebackers, I'm beyond excited about. Quay, Campbell, and, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not even super disappointed in Barnes and McDuffie. I don't want them on the field as linebackers necessarily, but as special teamers, especially Barnes, I feel good about that. Jair, Stokes, and Douglas, but on top of that, Shamar, I think, is shown to be real solid. Nixon in the slot is, is, seems like a decent guy. Amos and Savage, again, the safety thing is a little little iffy, but I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked about at least the special teams potential there. But either way, just across the board, I, I just, I don't know that I've looked at a Packers roster and just scanned the starters and just said, yeah, I feel great about it. I mean, what's, what is the worst part of this, of this team? Tight end? 
while still acknowledging that Tunyon could potentially be a massive breakout star because of the departure of Devontae Adams? Still waiting to see if DeGuara takes a step? Who knows, maybe Davis can do something cool and Lewis is still Lewis, as he always will be. Is that the worst part of this entire team? Because I think it is. I mean, it's just weird to not have massive glaring holes. I mean, at least last year you look at it, defensive line was rough, right? I mean, it was Kenny, but then Dean and Kiki. And we were hopeful that Kiki would maybe take a step, but that obviously was never going to be a thing. TJ Slayton was a rookie. Lancaster had COVID. Um, Outside linebacker, at least, I don't know if it was ever really in doubt, but Rashawn had never officially broken out yet. Uh, Linebacker, we had Chris Barnes and then some new guy, Devondre Campbell. We didn't know that he was going to break out. Corner, we had Jair and Kevin King with Stokes kind of waiting in the wings. We hadn't really seen A.J. Dillon break out yet, so there was a lot of concern, although a talented roster nonetheless. year before that, again, linebacker Barnes and Kirksey, Jair and King, you know, offensive line even with, you know, Billy Turner and Lucas Patrick. Elton Jenkins was a guard, not really sure how that was going to go. And we had Ricky Wagner there just in case with, you know, the rookies like John Runyon, Josh Nyman, who hadn't done anything yet. I mean, that, that was that was scary. That was a questionable offensive line with basically no depth. And it just gets worse when you go back further. I mean, this is when, like, the roster started getting really good. 2019, Jimmy Graham. (laughs) You know, we had Aaron Jones, but Jamal and Dexter were our running backs. Um, Kiki with Lowry and Montravius. Blake and Oren Burks. Still Jair and King. Then 2018, you just get kind of into disaster territory. You know, Justin McRae and Lane Taylor were your guards. Did have Devontae, but it was Geronimo Allison and MVS and Jamon and Equinemius. That, that, that was your depth. So you had Devontae with Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison, and then Equinemius, Jamon Moore, and MVS, all rookies. Um, Aaron Jones wasn't even... The, the number one running back was Jamal Williams with Ty Montgomery as the number two. Clay Matthews and Nick Perry. Ugh. Oren Burks, Blake Martinez. Tremont and Kevin King with HaHa Clinton Dix and Kentrell Bryce. Oh my goodness. What a long way we've come. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, again, on paper, this is, this is a nice looking roster. And, and I even mentioned last year, there were some that looked worse than it actually was because some of those guys actually panned out better than we thought. So it looked good with a couple holes and some of those holes weren't holes, you know, Devondre Campbell and whatnot. We may have that again. You look at it and say, well, this is decent, but I don't know. Well, we got to see. We don't know about Quay. We don't know about Jaron Reed. We don't know about TJ Slayton. We don't know about a lot of these different things and what, what they may become. So we shall see. But anyways, you guys have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.